All right, everyone, we are back. The Solve for Why vlogcast, episode number 42. And it is myself, Christian Soto, Matt, Big Bet, Alpha Reg, Berkey, still here with us all. And it's good to have you, man. I feel, I feel as if, you know, I spoke to you this morning. It was a little bit gloomy. The outlook that you forecasted was a little bit gloomy, but... I see you a little bit different now. You know, it's a little bit later in the afternoon. We're closing in at four o'clock Pacific time. And there's a little bit of a glow. Like you have a little bit of a glow. Like you love these bright lights. You love having the microphone in front of you. You love expressing your thoughts to the people, to the thousands of human beings that listen to you every single week. Why are you holding scissors, man? You make me nervous. I got to make sure it's a tough. We're in, we're in scary times, man. I got to. <laughs> I don't know who's trying to run up here in the Google headquarters. Just, you know, <laughs> got to be careful, man. You know, I your gun sales are going out of the, going through the roof. Armored employees with shanks. I didn't yeah. realize we were on that yeah. level. Yeah. Yet. You got to be, you've been having a bat here for fucking four weeks. Well, no, many, many weeks. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, some people, you got to get them. You know? So it's scary times, man. I feel as if the people really do want to know what you think. You've been on a couple podcasts recently. I heard you at the house for like three hours. That was that was long, but you said that they didn't really talk about this stuff. Yeah, we we didn't really address the uh, the epidemic that is on us or upon us, I guess. At this point, it was mostly just like backstory stuff, mm-hmm. you know, the usual um, meet and greet type of stuff for the first time I do a podcast. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, this is this is different. It's it's definitely a, in my opinion, it's. Uh, a pretty dark outlook for the next i don't know three months six months 12 months 15 months tough to say i'm not an economist i can't really predict this stuff but i think there's gonna be massive fallout i'm i'm hopeful you know sure. I, i'm i'm hopeful that it we see poker return it was the first time i ever seen like a blackout like yeah i i wasn't i mean i was around for black friday in a way but that wasn't really a blackout or anything like that. It's, it's interesting because, you know, I'm still seeing a lot of, you know, I'm very in tune with like the underground scene on the East Coast and it's still going like it's 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 popping now. Right. Yeah. Do you do you per, like foresee maybe that realm kind of begin to like flourish because like the casinos are down. I mean, I think there's an opportunity for bad actors to make money in the short run in mm-hmm. a lot of different ways, but I don't think it's sustainable. I think that you'll see an influx of um, of clientele and loose money online for mm-hmm. a very short period of time, but I think the outlook long term is a lot more apocalyptic than that. Um, are you talking about like the apps or are you talking about everything? Just- everything. I, I, th- I think the apps are very, <clears throat> very likely to collect a lot of the live money quickly but i also don't have a lot of faith in how on the up and up they are and i think that it's just like in a large way a big money grab Mm. but also you have to recognize that people who are winning at a marginal rate live are likely to be like you know one or 200 big blind per per hundred losers online maybe maybe sometimes worse so though I think there's going to be a pump. You're saying the marginal winners live? Yeah. Okay. Even like some of the the nominal winners that are making a reasonable career out of it, that those those skill sets don't transpose one to one, and I think that they're likely to go on. Why do you think that is? Well, 
largely because I, I mean i'm agreeing with you yeah largely because uh most live players are weak in the underlying math and game theory principles that mm-hmm. drive the game of poker and that's necessary to thrive online you're trying to cut out a small edge over mass production in the online realm so mm-hmm. you want to find some niche edge that allows you to earn one big blind per hundred and then play a million hands but that's in cash right so do you sure. think in tournaments maybe there's still like a I thriving think- market well, I think in tournaments, the variants can save a lot of these marginal winners and losers, but long run, the site will win. Anyway, I, regardless, I don't think any of these are sustainable throughout the long term. You know, the best the best analogy that I heard this compared to is most Americans are preparing for uh, an economical snow day or a pandemic snow day when in fact we're in for a pandemic blizzard. Mm. So I don't think this is something that just is cured in 30 days when the uh, the ban is lifted on non-essential businesses. I don't think suddenly large events um, come to be. I know that there hasn't been any announcement for the WSOP yet, but um, I don't have much hope at this point that it's going to run as planned. Mm. So I think that, you know, we're in for a long shift in all of these markets and what people don't understand is the economic fallout that comes from something like this hitting us and how quickly non-essential items or non-essential um, goods, services, whatever the case may be, fall by the wayside in uh, an ex- economically bearish market. So let's say, okay, the ban gets lifted. What do you think poker rooms look like at that point? Um probably full of people who are like grasping at straws to make a living. I don't think the rec money returns because it's too dangerous. Mm. And in a general sense, people who have recreational money to spend on outlets like poker are very likely to be wise enough to just not and be more responsible. Like if they're going to lose money playing poker, it's not going to make a difference to them whether they're doing it online or at a casino. Um, and then as you start to tear down with the people who like pretty much have to be there because they're grinders or, uh, it's essential to their livelihood, they're going to be at risk, um, both in catching and spreading coronavirus moving forward. Um, which again, I, I think it's very important to point out that like, the the fear isn't that eventually we all get coronavirus. Mm. That's that's not that big of a deal. It's the pace at which we all get it, right? So there's a big difference between 300 million Americans being affected with coronavirus tomorrow versus 300 million Americans being affected with it over the course of the next 24 months. Okay, why? Well, first and foremost, we're likely to achieve a vaccine over 24 months. Okay. So that will greatly reduce the amount of uh, spread. We're also likely to achieve some sort of antiviral medication, which will greatly reduce the symptoms once you do come down with it. So as the the pandemic goes on, the, the longer period of time that it goes on and the fewer people that it infects at a rapid rate or the, the more we slow down that growth, the more able we are to throw resources at it and handle the the eventual fallout from people being sick. Mm. Not to mention that fewer people will die, which is obviously a, a big benefit. Um, but, you know, just being very cold-hearted and frank about it, 
there's risk analysis that needs to be done in the sense of, you know, how many lives are worth saving by comparison to collapsing the entire American economy. And people I'm sure are, are doing, well, I guess I'm not sure of anything. Uh, what I am certain of is we didn't act fast enough. And because of that, maybe the proper risk analysis hasn't been done. And so now we're forced into a nationwide shutdown of non-essential businesses, which is in large part the backbone of the economy. And it's going to crumble small businesses coast to coast. It's going to put people in dire straits for mortgages, for education repayment, all of these other different things. Um, schools are closing. That puts a lot of strain on working parents, et cetera, et cetera. The fallout, just the ripple effect is is very powerful. So are you, are you personally afraid? I feel like there is a better than 30% chance I end up bankrupt within two years. And I'm in a very comfortable financial situation. Um, but, you know, I have a lot of assets tied up in housing, a lot of assets tied up in crypto, a lot of assets tied up in a business. All of these things. Crypto is easy. You could just pull, right? If no. You, no. I mean, you could. It's like saying I could just sell my house. It's I mean, not one, easy. One is a lot easier to to pull money from not necessarily it's not easy to liquidate assets in in a, a bearish climate mm. where people are all trying to liquidate assets right you don't, you don't want to also don't want yeah, yeah, to it's yeah. not the most prudent right. investing of course yeah uh metric yeah for right. sure yeah i mean i'm trying to see like i remember it feels different this time well like last time i tried to think about it in terms of like okay like black friday there was a blackout a lot of people thought it was really bad, but this feels different than Black Friday. And yeah, this impacts the world, not right, right. Not, not just poker. One point one 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 percent. Right, right. But what would you advise then? People trying to look at it in okay. There's different tiers of people in poker, right? There's people that are like twenty three, right, trying to break in. Then there's like that thirty to 35 and then there's like past that right so i think if you're like 21 this isn't this is like a i remember me being 20 20 ish and like black friday happening and i thought it was a good event yeah i think this is somewhat i don't know i don't i don't know if it's a good event for for a 23 year old what, what do you think it impacts them the least right they don't have any assets that are threatened mm -hmm. Uh, they're generally going to be liquid by nature. And it's far better than the Black Friday event because they're unlikely to have their entire net worth seized by some third-party right. entity. For sure. It's a huge opportunity for people in their early 20s. Uh, it's it's a freeze on society as a whole where mm -hmm. all of your burdens, expectations, and responsibilities are kind of lifted for a short period of time. It's a massive, massive shutdown of life as we know it where if you're intelligent, you're going to hone a craft during mm -hmm. this time frame. Um, whether or not that should be poker, I don't know. Uh, but I know if I were young, I would definitely be like just pouring myself into studying things that I was passionate about. Mm -hmm. And not just one. I wouldn't put all my eggs into one basket. So even if I were like a 21 to 25-year-old professional poker player, I would be doing my damnedest to just like study as if I was trying to play high rollers tomorrow. Mm. But I would also be trying to like hone my craft at content creation or... Uh, learning, um, you know, digital marketing skills or anything else that could potentially on the other side of this thing prove useful. It's a lot more difficult whenever you've already 
taken a subsection of your life and dedicated it towards certain crafts mm. and now had the rug kind of pulled out from underneath you. And, you know, for most of us, uh, specifically anybody who's in a non-essential good or service, you don't really have like fail safe set up in place for what happens if uh, your product is just rendered useless tomorrow. Think of gym owners. Like to me, this is the, the most critical uh, way of gauging the the climate is something like a, a gym, be mm. it a corporate or a, a, a chain gym or just uh, an independently owned one. They're immediately shut down for the foreseeable future. Yeah. You know, I, I don't necessarily think that they get to open after the 30 day uh, shutdown is lifted. And I don't even necessarily because think of health reasons you're saying, well, because uh, the inability to control flow, most gyms right. are going to have more than like five or 10 people them yeah, yeah, in them at absolutely. any given time. Yeah. Um, and then secondarily speaking, I also think that like, you know, they're kind of a cesspool for uh, spreading germs. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just this constant churn of people in and out all day long who may or may not be taking responsibility for their own health. You can only do so much wiping down and uh, disinfecting and, and whatnot. Yeah. But that's, that's an essential thread to the lifestyle of people who consider themselves healthy, optimized, et cetera, et cetera, right? Hmm. That's just pulled out from underneath America as a whole. <laughs> so like working out now becomes a novelty hmm. and other methodologies of getting the same job done need to be explored. Right. So like home, home gyms, et cetera. Right. Off the back end of this, if people's expendable income is greatly strained because now it has to be allocated towards simple resources to get by, like food, shelter, water, clothing, and all these other things, they may never rebound, right? At least not the smaller independently owned ones. Right. Um, we, we just may see, it may be like a long crawl back so you're saying like to America any, going to the gym. Anything that's like people are subscribing to that of which they can opt out of because it's not essential to them are like those businesses are heavily threatened i think so uh particularly if there isn't an obvious benefit to it so i think it's a little bit different whenever it is something correlated to your means to an end um so for instance like any sort of like schooling uh any sort of um on-the-job training like you know a lot of colleges are moving to online now high schools are moving to online uh votech type skills um you know if if you do like uh, even like in the poker training sphere, if we were to take that subsection, uh, there's still a lot of value there because there's still online poker to be played. And um, so what you're saying is something that of which you gain monetarily value after completion. Right. right. Those I think have a longer shelf life um, because they're still providing the value that they were always providing. Now it might be a little bit more of a strain for people to actually because uh, they're usually more costly as well sure right so it might be a little bit more of a strain for people to actually pay pay up for that education um but that just means it's less of a novelty mm. which means that it actually is more valuable now to those who are willing and who are actually taking the, the the best benefit from it it's the it's the ripple effect off of that that becomes a little bit worse right all the things that we do to make our lives a little bit simpler all the things that are available to us as convenience or as optimization models or what have you, it's really difficult to justify paying up for. 
whether you're talking about a luxury vehicle or a gym membership or anything in between that just adds a little slice of happiness to your life. I think that we're in a bit of a doom and gloom phase where we're going to be looking at, you know, a long period of time that uh, expendable income is going to be difficult to come across. That sounds sad. That sounds real sad. I don't, I don't know. I mean, so you're saying gyms are like, that's it. Not, not as a business model as a whole. I'm just saying that they are going to be very slow to recover. And a lot of them are going to suffer gyms, bars, restaurants, um, things that already had high failure rates mm. as, as small businesses, right? Things that were already very difficult to get off the ground mm. now suddenly start to fail at an exponential rate because the overhead's not going to stop yeah. while they're shut down, you know, and uh, customers aren't just going to continue to pay for no good or service. So what's the, what's the outlook then for, okay, we spoke about like 21 year olds now move, moving the, the scale a little bit higher. We have this like 28 to 32 range where like, you know, these guys have been around for a little while. They have a little bit of money, mm-hmm. hopefully. Um, what then? Because this is like a weird, weird, uh, where it's like you're not really solidified with like incredible liquidity liquidity, but right. you're also not like busto, but you don't really have any like yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? What happens then? Because I think those are the people that are most at risk in terms yeah, of in terms of like their path, because what now? I, I agree. I think that this is the group that stands to suffer the most from arrogance mm-hmm. and and just turning a blind eye to what's actually occurring. Um if I fell into that region, I would actually invest almost zero time into my current craft. Mm. So I would trust enough that if I were between 28 and 32 and had been playing for anywhere from seven years to 15 years, whatever, right. uh, I would entrust that I've done enough due diligence through my study, through my work and everything else that when my games resumed, I could reemerge myself and still be a winner. And instead I would pour all of my time and resources into developing a second source of income or a secondary skill set where I could start really strongly considering poker being supplementary income instead of a primary source of income. Mm. Um, I think it's a really responsible thing to do at that age anyway. And I think that this is a good opportunity to kind of press pause on the day-to-day grind and just say like, look, I'm frozen for the next X amount of days. Anyhow, uh, I've been meaning to, you know, pursue this other passion that I have or these other outlets that I think I could potentially be good at and either develop a business through or potentially create my primary source of income through where I can play poker on the side, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that everybody should be planning on the expectation that poker suffers traumatically from, from this current event. And I'm not trying to sound like doom and gloomy. I'm not trying to make it sound like the game is going to just stop running, but I think it's arrogant to think that we just start back up 30 days from now and pretend like nothing ever happened. I think it's more probable that like we don't see very much live poker resume until like August or September, particularly tournaments. 
Uh, and there will be an initial pump because there's going to be so many people who are either chasing or uh, have just been like sitting around going stir crazy. Um, but for anybody who's responsible, they're going to recognize that over that period of time that there was this lull, everybody was exhausting their resources trying to just stay afloat. Mm. Um, and that's going to take a lot of the the loose money out of the game, right? So it's going to turn way, way, way more into a bear market than a bull market in the sense that you're just not going to have a lot of people loosely investing and pumping up the the prize profitability pools. yeah the prize pools the profitability of the cash games so before before all this we were seeing like record fields yep right in tournaments yeah and you're saying okay once that resumes maybe the investors are no longer as liquid you're saying and like Correct. maybe there's not a lot much. of liquidity will dry up over the short term so like the the market in terms of selling action uh, things like that are not going to be the same. Maybe we don't see as, right. as big as the prize pools and et cetera. Right. And, and honestly, like I said, that first event that kicks off, let's say World Series moves to September mm-hmm. and it ends up being the first live event that kicks back off. Yeah. It's going to have a huge pump. We might see a record main event field. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be sustainable. And I think by the following year, we're going to maybe see like the, the fastest decline between two... Uh, two annual events. So what do you think is going on with, so you're saying right now, okay, because the online, online is like, is, is crazy right now. Yeah, right? it's it's the um, pump. It's, we're seeing both the regulated sites have exponential growth mm-hmm. and we're seeing the apps just like blowing up, you know, yep. we're seeing all these things just move towards online, right? Yep. Not what we expected at all, right? We were like five months ago, we were saying like online is apocalyptic. It's not going to, I still work. think it is. Um, so you're saying this is just like temporary. Until- I think it's I think it's very temporary because I think that pump that's coming through now is funny money almost. And people the, just itching, you're saying? It's people itching, it's people who are desperate, it's people who uh are trying to fill a void for an arena where they were just barely scraping by to begin with. Mm. Right? Like people who are well off from playing live poker aren't feeling the need to push and grind it out online. Mm. They'll just wait. Right. It's the people who are literally covering their monthly nut grinding live X stake for Y amount of hours that's desperate. And they're shifting over into an arena where they may be coming from the live realm where there may be a five big blind per hour winner into an online world where they might be like a one or two big blind per hundred loser. And but if they're all moving, then it can't be like that. Right. Because there's of course so many it can. people. It doesn't matter. It, it, it we're, we're talking about like a 25% uptick in traffic maybe, mm. right? We're not talking about a 300% uptick in traffic. It's so, hard to say because the tournaments are just like 3X in guarantees. Like it, it's... Right, but they're also massive re-entries. Fair, fair. So it's yeah. like, you know, you're probably right. only seeing like a 25 or 30% uptick in actual traffic itself. And even let's, let's say it's the best case scenario where a hundred percent of that traffic is fish, right? That's still 75 or 70% of the everyday regulars feasting. Yeah. Right. None of that 30% is suddenly just going to emerge as profitable. Mm. They'll survive a little bit longer because they have other fish around them and games are a little bit better because of that. So what you're saying is that the people that are grinding there already that were established winners online it's are Christmas. Just, it's Christmas. Yeah. Right, right. They're gonna make a they're gonna see their win rate maybe one and a half X what it was 
for the last 12 months. But I think it's short-lived. I think that, you know, reality is going to start to set in as more and more of these non-essential businesses uh, are forced to close for extended periods of time. I don't think 30 days is going to be the end-all be-all. Mm. I think 30 days from now, we're going to reevaluate. And there's still going to be a, a, some sort of ban on public gatherings over X amount of people. Uh, I, You know, this we're a long way away, man. We're 15 months away from some sort of projected quarantine. Or, uh, sorry, uh, vaccine. Mm. Um, we might be slightly shorter away from antivirals. But the point is, is like, I haven't seen a projected model yet that indicates by fall, everything just returns back to normal. We just got to pray, man. You know, that's how it is. <laughs> what? It's not funny, man. People just just you know, throw your hands up and, and have faith that... You got to put your hands together. That's how it is. The world works out. Okay, so we spoke about 2132. You're saying... The, sorry 2832 those people assuming they have whether whether they have money or not pretty much should be like looking into some other passions uh, uh other, i think it's a good time to pivot okay yeah then okay so then there's the the past the past that age right let's say you're 34 whatever you've you've been in the game forever like i always i always point to jeremy osmus he's the easy one to point to he's, sure he's a good looking guy very profitable for a very long time but he's, he's never really been an uh, online player or whatever. What happens now? Because he was in a good spot, you know, playing high rollers, modeling. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a guy like Osmus, uh, I imagine he has some time and luxury to mm-hmm. do as he wishes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I imagine that he's also probably been examining other sources of income for a long time. Right. I, I don't know. To that group as a whole it just kind of matters where you fall. Cause I think a big yeah, portion he's on the upper echelon of that. Group, well, he right? he's, yeah. he's on the elite group of guys who are able to make a sustainable living at poker mm-hmm. and solely at poker. Right. But I don't think that that's the majority of people in that age bracket who are playing the game. I would say the majority are probably doing it as supplementary income or as uh recreation. Mm. So for them, it's like probably, you think so? I, I'm yeah. more talking about like guys like they're, how yeah like look around man you can name you could name the list of guys between 35 and 40 that are playing professionally full time yeah maybe right uh, there there aren't a lot of guys from my era that are still playing full time poker you think so i feel like there's a few i feel like there's a yes, lot of there's uh, a few i feel uh, like there's a lot of just justin youngs jeremy's i Len disagree Ashby's. I, I think that like we make up the probably one of the smallest subsets of, of professional poker players. Wow. Hmm. I'm not, I don't know. I would imagine that the, the 25 to 32 age bracket probably makes up the majority of quote unquote professionals, especially if you take online into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. We're dinosaurs by, by online age. Right. Um, interesting. And yeah, I mean, if you start to like highlight the guys, I feel like a lot of like the higher end Vegas, like Vegas cash game pros, are mostly like in your age bracket. Yeah, but that's like ten people. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the whole table, man. It's like <laughs> I mean, but that's like ten people. You know what I mean? Like I get it. I mean, I just say like when I go play the ten twenty Bellagio game, there's not that many young people in the game. It's, it's right. That's it's, why the game's good. It's it's a lot of like thirty four plus, and it's like okay, these guys have been here forever. 
Yeah. Like, you know? Um, so what about that group? That's that's effectively the group I'm saying. Like Justin, Justin Young, that group of just they're pros. Like this yeah. is where they it's, make their it's money. It's definitely hard because like we're at an age where now we just become kind of disenfranchised, where it's like you almost feel too old to learn a new trait and uh you almost feel like you are too young to just rest on your laurels and retire on whatever money you've made. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, for anybody who hasn't been considering an exit plan up until this point, it's going to be a, a scramble scenario. But so, like, you know, the big difference between Black Friday and this is the alternative. Hmm. When Black Friday hit, it was during a period of time where online poker and live poker was inter- intertwined with one another. Right. You know, if you crushed one realm, you probably crushed both. That's not the way it is in today's day and age. I didn't crush any of them shits. I mean, you were a baby. (laughs) Um, But that's not the way it is in today's day and age. If online were to shut down tomorrow, live would be fine because the majority of those guys have no interest in going in one tabling 15 hands every half, Hmm. right? Like you just wouldn't really see it. And, you know, all the online guys would be scrambling, but they're largely young, versatile enough, very intelligent, and would probably get into some data-driven fields. And it might actually be the best thing that ever happened to society as a whole because there are probably are a lot of really great minds that are kind of wasting away online. And live. I, sure. I both, yeah. But when live gets taken away, it's a much older crowd and it's much less transferable into the online arena. So though most of the online guys have no interest in one tabling 15 hand, or 30 hands an hour live, they still could and they could profitably. I don't think that holds true for the majority of the live arena. I think that it would take a lot of work for the better players live to just go start grinding online thousands of hours a year. And a lot of liquidity, which is a premium right now. I feel liquidity, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. I feel though liquidity matters a lot because you think, I if, think if you're 1020 matters. if you're 1020 no limit grinder live yeah. and say you're operating off like a 300k roll, well, you're going to want to try to play comparable stakes online Mm. but like if you try to jump in the arena of like 510 plus online you're just gonna get wrecked so instead you're gonna have to like multi-table 50 cent a dollar one two no limit two five yeah four table two five maybe i mean you're speaking specifically of like uh really wsop yeah yeah, yeah. but like if you're actually looking at a lot of other sites that are are yeah they'll probably lose on two five zoom for for sure sure. for sure two five zoom stars yeah yeah so it's just like even even maybe even acr i'm not sure what the cash game streets there look like and also how protected are you you know what i mean like we have a pretty fair amount of confidence in like party poker gg and uh stars Mm -hmm. that their games are very tough but they're probably legit right i have way less confidence on acr a bunch of apps are you a poker bro i don't fucking know like Mm -hmm. you know everybody's trying to shill some sort of site. And it's not because the sites are so goddamn profitable. It's because being an agent is where all the money is at right now. So let's talk about that. I think that that's a very interesting path. I know you and I have taken the approach of like, well, we're not going to do it. You know, it would be fairly easy for us to just like put up a link here and say like, Hey, like sign up for this site, blah, 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 blah. We were in there and whatever. And we probably make some money off of it. Right. Um, but I think we've taken the stance that, you know, as a business, we just can't really put our name behind these kind of uh, products. But right now it's very lucrative. I think that a lot of people have taken that path of being an agent, being kind of 
and it's very easy the 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 yeah. way to do it is like hey like sign up all these people all you have to do is at the end of the week square the books and you get a piece of the rake why do you think well first of all why do you think we as a business can't necessarily do that and secondly where do you see that moving forward because we've seen a lot of first of all that's a great market but secondly we've seen these things go sour where it's like a lot of like New York Poker King was doing this kind of thing. Then all yep. of a sudden the money was like, where's the money? Blah, 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 blah. So obviously, you know, people would have faith in us and squaring all that stuff. But why do you think it's just bad business? Know, it's, yeah. it's, it's full tilt on a much lesser scale. You know, if you, if you're not going to have separate liquidity mm. and you're never going to have separate liquidity, right? Because the way that these sites work, it's rare that people post. It's just this trust back and forth. So right. uh, I on was on the agent pretty much. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I was on a, a couple apps in the past, Poker Fishes and Poker Masters. And I was doing it where I was being fronted a certain amount of credit. And then when I lost, I would send bit. Yeah. And if I just never sent, my agent just gets fucked. Right. He still owes the money. Right. right. He doesn't have any separate liquidity because he never got my cash. Yeah. And. You know, it, there's just so much room for it to go south. As an agent, you're then trusting the site itself to pay out. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't mm -hmm. pay out, you now don't have the separate liquidity whenever your clientele is demanding the money. You can't just be like, oh, sorry, I was willing to take your money when you lost. But, you know, it, it's effectively... Well, what they're doing is they're hedging on the rake. Yeah, but you're running a huge risk there. And then lastly, it's as close to racketeering as I can possibly imagine. You're effectively just running numbers for a bookie. Right. You're just a middleman running numbers for a bookie. And I've just seen way too much of this stuff go south over the last few years. We saw Poker Masters end up being a cheated site where, you know, nobody really wanted to vouch for it any longer. We saw the New York Poker King scandals go down and then he like starts back up and it happens again. Like those are just cash grabs, in my opinion. Uh, PKC was another one that all last summer was just blowing up. Everybody was singing the praises of like PKC is going to be a great. App. I haven't heard a word, not a peep. Right. And I don't know if they got shut down. I don't know if uh, agents just aren't running any longer. Feel as if like it just keeps moving to another location, right? Yeah. Well, my understanding of what happened with PKC was that the affiliates weren't getting paid, and the second that that happens, now all of a sudden there's no the, incentive. The, the whole thing crumbles, right? right. It's just a, a house of cards. So it's like as a business to put your good name and. Uh, you know, kind of impose your trust onto your community to say like, Hey, these are all on the up and up when you have no idea what the security is. You have no idea to what degree, uh, the clubs that you're promoting are legit where the collusion is taking place, whether or not they're actually going to get paid. Like everybody's going to guarantee it until they just don't. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it all happens at such a small scale that it doesn't go global or national, like full tilted whenever it was proven to be a Ponzi scheme. So to me, these are just all Ponzi schemes. And, you know, I'm not throwing shade at people who are agents. Mm -hmm. But to me, I just don't think it's good faith acting. I, I think it's just really trying to skim off the top uh, of low-hanging fruit where people are desperate to play in an unregulated market. Yeah. I mean, it's just they're incentivized, I guess, in a way. Because... I mean, green incentivizes else? anything. Right, right. It, it, effectively, they're incentivized because where there's... There's no regulation for people to play in other states, right? If you don't live in New Jersey, Nevada, Delaware, Pennsylvania, you just 
have to play in an unregulated site. So it's like, okay, do you want to go play with bots on ACR? Or do you like this person that you've been following on Instagram for a while and they're saying to play here? Right. So they just kind of say, okay, well, I'm just going to play where they say. And these players are incentivized to just like say, hey, yeah, play here. So it's weird. It's uh, I feel like we're in a weird state in, in poker where like if I was, say, in Florida and like, and someone asked me, hey, where do I play? Like, what do I even say? You know, there's there's no real nothing, right? It's a massive opportunity for people who want to take on huge risk and have no moral compass behind mm-hmm. it. You could run huge, huge private underground games right now. Yeah. Every day of the week, every stake imaginable, you could easily coordinate as much as you want. You could coordinate those same home games online. Yeah. Have people play over Zoom. Right, so they get the face-to-face interaction. There are a million ways to skin the cat. The problem is, is where does it rest on your moral compass, as far as like acting in good faith versus just trying to clip people in the short run? Right. I was never too much of a history buff, but I do remember that in in times like this, I think certain people get like really, really rich. Right? Is that is that like how history works? Right? Where it was like in situations like this. Certain people, I don't know if it was like the Rockefellers or whatever, always, like they always. just got like every, every name that's on a library mm-hmm. has created generational wealth off the back of a depression or, or a recession or, you know, basically a turn of a revolution, be it industrial or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're facing that now. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. History is written by the victors, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't know what kind of guy Carnegie and Rockefeller and all these other guys were. We only know what the history books say. Right. And they were the winners. So they come out smelling like roses one way or another uh, for better or for worse. There's a lot of ways to make potentially generational wealth whenever people are suffering in mass. All right. Talk to me. Let's go (laughs) (laughs) develop a a $40 per person ventilator, right? You just kill it. Everybody in America will own one. Yeah. I saw a lot of the underground games back in, back in Jersey, back in New York, like, saying like hey like there's just so much demand and like they're like posting videos of them washing the chips sure you know and just like it's like wow like i i mean i don't know i don't know what's gonna happen it's a fine line between hustle and uh cannibalizing i think Mm -hmm. and i think that like you know the more that you are doing things for the benefit of others rather than recognizing that demand exceeds supply Hmm. um the better your long-term survival rate will be with that business you know there's a a good instance of this is a guy in uh tennessee i think bought seventeen thousand bottles of right right. and planned to sell them at a huge upcharge Mm -hmm. uh and the government stepped in and basically uh, threatened, him, threatened him with legal action. Yeah, yeah. Amazon took his stuff down too. And it's just like from a capitalistic mo- model, he was just being, uh, like he was just thinking ahead. Right. Basically saying like demand is going to exceed supply. So the the value of this good is going to grow exponentially. Right. And because and- of that, I'm going to get rich. And like Perkins kind of mentioned this on Ingram's podcast the other day too. He's like, I think it's reasonable to invest in toilet paper. Like it's zero interest. You can just hold a lot of your capital. You can store your capital in toilet paper because people are always going to need to wipe their ass. And the cost per roll is just going to continually go up 
as resources decline. But then the conversation turns to, well, how morally just is that mm-hmm. whenever you're depraving people in need in order to ensure that you can hoard a commodity that is going to be worth more down the line? Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a fine line, right? But I think it ultimately just comes down to, like, why are you doing it? And if the answer is simply greed or because it's an opportunity to do so, then generally speaking, it's probably in bad faith. And, you know, I, I don't think that's the only path to generational wealth. I don't think that's the only way to ensure that you're comfortable moving forward. There's going to be a lot, a lot of opportunity for innovators off the backbone of this epidemic. What about creators? What do you think? I mean, I think like I think personally, this like kind of halt in society as we know it is going to spurn uh, fast tracking the advancement of automation. So I think that we're going to see really it's it's almost unfortunate this didn't occur like six months prior because I think Andrew Yang would have gained massive traction had it been. Um, because I think like ultimately what's going to happen is a lot of these conglomerates are going to be the only winners when it's all said and done. You're saying like Amazon. Yeah. Amazon, Google, Facebook, et cetera. Mm. All, Tesla. All of these small businesses are going to have a very difficult time keeping their head above water. And that's going to just create this massive, almost monopoly-like effect for the major corporations. And I think... Because like, they have all the liquidity. Exactly. Yeah, they, they, they can, can sustain cr- this. Right. They're, they're depression-proof, right? right? And even if they're not depression-proof, bailouts and quantitative easing often will will mm-hmm. go towards them, not towards the little guy. Uh, so I think that like when it's all said and done, we're going to be left with these faces and names that everybody recognizes. And they're going to understand that the next step forward is the uh, the AI advancement and the automation wave. So we're going to see things start to get implemented maybe a little bit quicker than we had anticipated. Things like fully autonomous drivers, um, things like uh, fully autonomous warehouses and things uh, that are assembly lines that don't get crushed in situations like this effectively what you're saying um kind of yeah yeah uh, they don't or, need or, or things or, or even things that did but can now very easily be replaced by man or by, by machine by machines right so for every element that like google facebook amazon etc have to shut down during this time they're going to be working on solutions where they don't need to bring that worker back Mm-hmm. And automation can just fulfill it moving forward. So I think like that advancement is going to lead to governmental change. It has to. And things like UBI will now be on the table. Things like, um, you know, dealing with all the displacement of unemployed workers moving forward is going to have to be handled in some sort of capacity. So when all of that occurs, I think this lull is almost created for the everyman where the arts, um, you know, music, language, uh, creativity, content creation, all that stuff is ultimately like what kind of like spurns out of of this type of development, right? Mm -hmm. It's what we begin to put a lot more uh, store value into as individuals because it's like the one thing that can never be taken away. It's what defines us as human. So I would imagine that those who are innovative and those who are forward thinking that can recognize, um, you know, there's going to be this blend between the arts and technology somewhere down the line, inevitably, Mm -hmm. maybe a lot sooner than we realize. They're going to be the ones who win on the small scale. They're going to be the ones who develop platforms for people to uh, 
you know, reemerges bloggers. I could see blogging uh, reemerging very, very quickly. Mm. Uh, I said it the other day. Uh, Len Ashby's been writing these like short stories every single day on his Twitter, and they're fantastic. Right, for sure. And I commented on one of them, and I said the best thing that's going to come out of this pandemic is the reemergence of storytelling through the written word. Mm. And it's it's true, right? It's like we stopped reading a long time ago because we just get everything in these little 280 character snippets right. or, or through video. Audible or right, video right. or whatever. So like, I think that we'll see this regression almost to more archaic terms of uh, social connection, hmm. especially after being isolated for so long. For sure. So you think there is a little bit of a research, like not a resurgence, but content creation will shift in a way or blend with something else as well I, I think it'll be i think we're gonna see a pushback against the individualistic model and uh, a giant push behind more community-based models so anything that encourages like fireside chats anything that mm. uh can be easily distributed like written word uh in order to tell a story right anything that like passes a message along to a group rather than uh, just to me speaking to you kind of thing, right? If you think of like Instagram stories, right? That's more of like a peer-to-peer transfer. I think that the content that's going to win off the backbone of of stuff like this is going to be more like peer-to-tribe. So like books. Books, I think, have have a chance at uh, re-emerging maybe since we're still in the uh, efficiency model something similar or simpler like blogs hmm. articles um things like that uh i i think that like music has probably a good shot at a big resurgence um obviously their monetization model kind of sucks at the moment spotify's crush right which yeah. is what makes it suck for the yeah. artist yeah for um, sure but if there's a way for artists collectively to figure out a way uh to leverage you know, they're sel- themselves as a community. I think that like this would be a big opportunity for it. So let's talk about poker training. Sure. Obviously the business that we are in currently. What's the landscape? It feels as if if there's no live poker, that's a huge, like there was a, you know, moving into 2020 at the end of 2019, there was a lot of demand for like live poker training. Like mm-hmm. even on the other sites, uh, that were more online based, they were moving towards like, okay, we, you know, there's a lot of demand for this. What's the outlook now? Obviously very important for us specifically that are very, we're very live oriented, but from, from what I'm gathering is there's, and maybe I have a biased outlook. There's a lot of people that are saying, okay, well I need to study now because there's nothing else to do. They have 18 hours of free time during the day. Sure. Where do you where do you land on that? Where do you land on there's a, a surge in poker training because people don't have anything to do and they want to watch uh they want to get better or do you think are you on the other side where it's like I don't want to spend a hundred dollars a month on something I don't need to? Um, I mean I hope there's a surge obviously. Mm. Uh, I'm a little unsure because I think that the forecast for when live poker will return is so cloudy. So you're saying the longer it takes to get back to live poker the more decline there will be in terms of people wanting to continue to invest in learning for poker. Yeah, I I think the natural um, rate of attrition will be exponential as each month goes by that live poker doesn't exist. 
and I'm speaking specific to our model, mm. right? So mm. the more months that go by that we can't run an academy, the more probable it is that live poker is not flourishing at the moment, which makes it less likely people are putting a major emphasis on training. Mm. So, you know, for that reason, obviously we're going to dedicate some of our resources towards transitioning live players to online and creating content around that. It's important to be versatile. It's important to hear what the market's demanding and try to meet it. But uh, secondary to that, it really matters more so what the poker market as a whole looks like because you have to remember that poker training is just a small subset of that entire market. So the more liquidity that gets taken out of the poker market completely because live poker is non-existent, online poker is non-regulated in the United States, yeah. um, the further and further away we move from being able to have this niche product that went from potentially being a need to now being a, uh, a kind of, uh, I guess, an, I don't like a luxury yeah. almost. Yeah. Um, and we have to be very considerate too. Uh, some, some things are really going to change. Like, I don't think people understand. We're going to be talking like pre, pre pre virus and post virus. I would expect like 25% of the Las Vegas poker rooms to never reopen. Wow. I mean, think about some, like, do you really think that treasure Island is going to reopen their poker room? They had a, they had a poker room. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't know they had a, poker exactly. Room. This, that, that's what I'm saying. Right. It's like, the casino industry as a whole is going to be impacted by this. And they've so already... So you expect just the majors to come back? Well, maybe a little bit beyond that. I don't think poker is going to die. Yeah. But I think that there is going to be a big recessive step backward where all the, all the, the little entities that were on the cusp of losing small... Uh, you know, they were lost leaders for the casino or, you know, they were... They, they've been having discussions for months or years of whether or not the poker every every quarter it comes up is the poker room worth keeping is the poker room worth keeping right mm. and they always find justifiable reasons to say yes 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 i think now they finally arrive at a no like okay we're just gonna close indefinitely okay uh and again like going back to the gym model i think that's true for the gym and all small businesses everybody i mean this is coming from somebody who's operating a small business right when you are constantly checking the books every quarter and ensuring that you're on a certain path. We just had our best quarter in the history of Solve for Y. Yeah. And now all of a sudden we're immediately looking at downsizing. Yeah. Because the entire landscape just changes sure. overnight. And so like we're in a different situation. We're in a fortunate situation where we're we already had our head above water and downsizing just means like, you know, scaling back on things like the academy for until we time. see what the forecast is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But like for those who were on the precipice of closing already, mm. this is the nail in the coffin. You just don't come out of a 30-day no uh, no um, net income yeah. and expect to just like suddenly reopen your doors and have customers, right? Yeah. Like those customers are already looking elsewhere to try to meet their own needs, whether it's black markets, underground games, whatever the case may be. And... They're just less likely to return with any level of loyalty whenever you are already low ranking and on the fringe of closing anyway. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't. It doesn't feel good uh, in terms of. I don't know. I don't know what is. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what poker is going to look like. I feel as if there's. We were in such a good place before all this happened that. Yeah. I hope 
things come back uh, to to kind of where they were, but I'm not sure. It's weird to like feel like we were at peak and found ourselves like very, very, very quickly staring down the barrel of possibly like the greatest recession that that we will see in our lifetime. Good times. <laughs> Good times, guys uh, and, and ladies. So I'm not sure. I think that we'll leave it there because I'm not necessarily... I, I think that it's one of those things that we're going to have to continue to speak about, right? The next week might be much, it might be a lot better or much bleaker. We don't know. And I think this is going to be one of those like ongoing uh, stories for the next, hopefully not that long, but maybe very long. Yeah, I imagine that, you know, moving forward, life has to go on. In some way, shape, or form. So it's going to be beating a dead horse, constantly trying to forecast what the next three, six, 12 months is going to look like. Um, but, you know, more information will continually come out. And some of it will be big news. Some of it will be shit that we expected. Mm. And just like keeping abreast to the way other markets are moving. So like paying attention to like how the Chinese market is, is kind of recouping from this since they had a 45 day head start on us, right. give or take. And they're a major economy and, and things like that. That'll be very telling as far as like what we can expect. Seeing like how Italy rebounds will be very telling as far as like what we can expect. Stuff like that. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be drab. It's gonna suck up a lot of the conversation. It's almost like being in a political cycle, which oh yeah, by the way, we're in that too. Yeah. And it's like shit that nobody wants to talk about. It gets tiresome to hear all the time. But this is a little bit different because it's like, you know, it's messing with people's livelihoods. It's dealing with life or death situations if you're in a high risk group. Um, and I think like from that standpoint, it's really critical that people are as knowledgeable as they can be and as responsible as they can be as far as like helping themselves, helping others, ensuring that we're all protected from, you know, what could be catacly cataclysmic if it goes unchecked. The Las Vegas lights are off. Did they turn the luxury light off? The, yeah, everything's off. For real? Yeah, it's sad. Legit, they turned the lugs or light off. I think you know it's that a, for sure. No, but okay. I'm, let's check. Yeah, because I think they only literally turn it off like one day a year, which is fucking crazy. Which day do they turn it off? I I don't recall. They're probably Halloween. Yeah, I'm not sure, but <laughs> it might be Nevada Day. Even I'm not sure. All I know is like how fucking crazy this thing is. Got to be the biggest energy suck. I mean, this is like the biggest fuck you. We have too much money. You'll ever see in your entire life. It's a light that shoots up in the goddamn space. For what? So people know where the pyramid is on the middle of the strip? In DR, they uh, they have this called, this is like the Columbus. Uh, like it's a, it's like a, I only know how to say it in Spanish, so I'm not going to say it. But it's like, it's, it's like a, a Columbus like tribute kind of thing, right? Yeah. And there's a light that Wait, shoots. Wait, like Christopher Columbus? Mm-hmm. That's ironic as fuck. Listen, man, don't get into our fucking history. <laughs> you just stay here with your fucking white fucking supremacist. No, it's the opposite. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But listen, we we He's are a terrible person. All right, whatever. Well, we're we're trying to catch up to the times, okay? He pillaged your nation. Here we go. All right. Well, listen. There's a light. Yeah. And I I I used to live like right next to this thing. It's a light that shoots up to the sky, similar to the Luxor, mm -hmm. but then there's a cross. It's it's just like like the the Christian kind of cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing, twenty four hours, seven days a week. But like it's crazy because, like, in DR they 
sometimes the lights just go off. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. like, oh, three o'clock. Se fue la luz. That means like all oh, the lights are gone. Like, yeah, yeah. But this thing still went up <laughs> in the air every night, and it's like it was it was kind of nice. I don't know. It gave people hope. What do you mean? Like that's, that's <laughs> wild, man. Talk about wasteful resources. It's just like the light. It's so crazy the things that we do in order to just like kind of peacock and just like you know rally the troops around. Like, hey, look what we have a yeah. light. Yeah, it was a light. It's literally a huge thing. You That's can see. It's probably costing like thousands a day to keep running. Yeah, it's 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 big. It's, yeah. a, it's a huge thing. But yeah. I don't know, man. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll still have a podcast next week. Sure. Uh, and I think we will. I think that things are going to be hopefully not as bad as we. I mean, we got we things. We got things in order to keep people busy while they're bored. Uh, I got set up to stream. I'm going to be playing a lot on WSOP. So potentially doing some YouTube live stuff there. They sponsored you. They did not sponsor me. YouTube did. No, they did not. Google did. No. WSOP did. Nobody did. We still have the student edition of Poker Out Loud coming out every Friday on Second Thought every other Friday. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to keep churning. No, uh, no rest for the weary. For me, it's nice. It's a chance to get caught up. Got a lot of stuff on my plate, a lot of emails I need to send, a lot of content I need to create. It's a nice little slowdown, break in the action. It's it's an opportunity. I think so. I think it's you know, you could look at it both ways. Obviously for for people that are in the content game, I think this is like uh well, let's see what else we can do. Let's see what the market demands. Let's see, you know, if there's things that we can do that are innovative. Yeah. You know, and I think that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck us and good luck all of you. We will see you next week. Maybe we should run more podcasts. Maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe we should run two a week. We'll see. (laughs) Everybody, good night and good luck.